and thanks for listening to the Funnel Side Chats podcast. This series features Nadim Hossein, the founder and CEO of BrightFunnel, in conversation with marketing thought leaders. Subscribe and tune in to hear what the future of B2B marketing looks like from different perspectives and get an up-close and personal look into some of today's most innovative and creative minds. We would love for you to tweet along with us. You can find us on Twitter, at BrightFunnel and at Nadim Hossein. So without further ado, I'll kick it over to Nadim. Howard, how's it going? It's Nadim. Good. I'm doing good, Nadim. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for uh, making some time to chat with me. Sure. Great. Um, so Howard, uh, why don't we start with, uh, please tell me your name, your current role, and your and your current company. Sure. I'm uh, Howard Ting. I'm the uh, CMO at Nutanix. We're a uh, provider of uh, an enterprise cloud platform, which we believe is a great alternative to the public cloud, and uh, we think will restore the balance between public and private clouds and redefine enterprise computing for the next decade. Excellent. So why don't we dive right in? And, and um, I'm really curious, how did you get into marketing? And uh, obviously, you're, you're leading marketing for a very important company. Um, what got you into the field? And, and why are you a marketer? Yeah, great question. Thanks. I, um, I've been doing uh, marketing and uh, senior roles for uh, a couple companies now. This, this is my third company where I've been uh, in a primarily a marketing and outbound marketing type role. Uh, previous to this, I spent uh, eight years in product management, and really that was kind of like my first love in an operating role for a tech company. I just really loved the um, ownership of being a, a PM, where you're interfacing with all different aspects of the business and, and really got to go deep on a market, a problem, and helping design the ultimate solution to that problem. So I really loved that. Now, part of that role obviously entailed a lot of uh, marketing activities where I was not the primary uh, owner of, a, of, of some marketing activity, but I was a participant in them, you know, whether it's a analyst briefing, a media briefing, a speaking opportunity, a webcast, whatever. So I got some exposure that way. And um, the way I kind of fell into marketing, frankly, was I was at a relatively young company, a startup that I had joined named Securant. And there was a, um, I joined the head of product management. And I was there, and during that time, there was a search open for a CMO. And uh, the CEO and the board could never quite find the right person. So after a while, they just stopped the search because they saw that I just started picking things up and doing it because, you know, as as you know, Nadim, in any small company, um, if there's a gap in the organization, other people kind of step in and fill that role. And, uh, and I did that for marketing. So I just taught myself everything. You know, I, uh, I, I started, uh, reading a lot of blogs and books. I spoke with a lot of people, went to a couple conferences. I did a lot of research online and I, uh, just became a self-taught, uh, marketer. And along the way, I had a lot of great mentors and people that would give me advice and I could lean on for, uh, for some input. And, uh, so that's how I got here. I, that was, uh, back in 2005. So in the last uh, 11, 12 years, uh, I've been in primarily a marketing role and I just love it. And just, uh, I think the last part of your question is why am I in marketing? I think the best part about marketing is you get to use your left and right brain every day. There's a big element of creativity and storytelling and, and kind of showmanship that's involved in marketing and really kind of trying to do breakthrough stuff. But at the same time, there's a great analytical component to it 
where you're constantly assessing data that we have so much access to these days compared to a decade ago in this function. So, um, so it's, it's just fantastic for me. I, I, I've just loved every minute of, uh, of it. And, um, when you get to do it at a company like Nutanix, it's even more fun. That's, that's great. It really resonates with me as well. The, the right and left brain of marketing, there, there really is no function like it. Um, so I think we share a very similar perspective. Um, and, and so on that note, with marketing being such a broad function, um, you know, I, I often explain to people that marketing, unlike, say, sales, is uh, heterogeneous. There, there's so many different functions. There's analytical, quantitative, and creative um, sales is incredibly challenging, but there are different kinds of reps and different seniority of, of VPs, but it's much more homogenous in the kinds of activities. Um, so, so given that very diverse set of responsibilities that you're, you have as, as a CMO, what is your secret weapon or you know, your superpower as a marketer? What, what's that one thing that, that really has let you rise to, to where you are? Yeah, I think uh, th there are probably a couple things I would say that have fueled my success. There's some basic things that I think are table stakes for any successful individual, and that is hard work, resilience, and uh, and and just getting better every day. You know, the 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 ability to recognize that uh, the journey of uh, self-improvement and growth never never ends, and every day you're trying to get better at something. So I think if you and, and that's all the table stake stuff that I, I, I see in every, almost every successful person I come across. But in terms of what has fueled my success in marketing, I think it's really probably two things. One is uh, the ability to tell a story with a fresh, unique angle that pops, you know, that, that kind of rises above the noise. I think if you read press releases or look at ads from Nutanix, you'll see that there's a little bit of extra – magic to it. Uh, if, if, if I'm, you know, and if I'm, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying this based on stuff I hear from other people, my peers in the industry. So it's not just, you know, looking at it through my own rose colored glasses, but I, I think I generally feel like we've, uh, my team and I have been able to put a little extra sizzle on the storytelling. So that's one. And then the other one is, um, uh, the ability to observe a lot of the great marketing around me, park it in my parking lot and then join some of those ideas with other ideas that I've parked in my parking lot to create something new. And I liken this a little bit to like DJing, you know, mixing. I used to be a DJ when I was in college and, uh, oh, wow. it was probably, yeah, it was an awesome, awesome thing to go out and get paid to play music and entertain hundreds of people going crazy and enjoying, enjoying uh, a good time. So in DJing, as you know, the, most of the big name DJs that make millions of dollars a night, they don't create a lot of original music. They just put music together. And the way that the, their creativity in that, experimenting with that, trying different things together to see what works and what doesn't work, ultimately is their source of creativity. And I think in marketing, it's, it's a very similar way. I always advise a lot of my um, uh, programs, people and demand gen folks that are always looking for that breakthrough creative idea. I always say, pay attention to what everyone else is doing and then create a massive parking lot in your head and ever know whatever it is where you ever take notes and just park all those ideas in there and you go back and you kind of mix some ideas together and you're able to create, you know, new wonderful works 
of art. So to me, I think that's what I always try to advise people, trying to come up with something totally original, never done before. It's pretty difficult and, and uncommon. Uh, but being able to see how someone applied one idea to an area, but if you apply it differently with yet, you know, maybe another sprinkle of creativity that you have picked up somewhere else, that's when the real magic happens. So I think it's those two things. Fantastic. I, I, that really resonates. So shifting gears a little bit, um, one of the core things, trends we're all seeing in marketing these days is, you already mentioned data, and a lot of it is as a result of the marketing technology, but I'd love to kind of get your take on just generally the, the MarTech landscape. You know, does it excite you? What do you, what do you think about all this technology emerging uh, for, from, you know, from your perch as a CMO? What are your thoughts on MarTech? Yeah, I think it's a big uh, focus for my team. I'm a big believer in technology and automation and, and systems and also just getting smarter about our, our prospects and our customers uh, and really gleaning insight from the data. I think the state of the industry is still relatively immature. We know there are uh, whatever thousands of companies that have some MarTech out there with uh, uh, all different uh, approaches to different problems. And if I were to kind of group them into two major groups, one of them is expanding your funnel and the other group is optimizing your funnel. And I think in both cases, there's some great wins and there's some great tools that, that are proven and, and, uh, and, and, and I would always recommend them on the short list of uh, product or technologies, marketing technology products to start with for any company getting off the ground. But then there are the majority of them, a majority of the companies and products in those two areas are still relatively immature and, and, and unproven, I would say, in terms of the promise versus the reality. And I just give you one example of that. You know, one example is uh, the uh, algorithmic scoring uh, that we do now, but the, the, you know, the, as you know, the, the old fashioned scoring is, uh, you just look at like, uh, you know, you assign points for different behaviors on the website that you're tracking and you assign different points for, uh, demographic information like title and, and company name and size of company, et cetera. And then you compute a kind of raw score, you know, and, and, and then you hope that your predefined algorithm is a good indicator of who's uh, has high propensity to buy. Now these newer tools are trying to map your existing customers, the people who have already purchased and go back, look backwards at their behaviors and their their demographic information to see like okay, how do we find or how do we identify more like uh, uh, prospects in the funnel in the database that that appear to be you know similar to these people who have bought and converted, um, and I think that a lot of times the uplift in the conversion rates and whatever it it it, it it's often not what is promised. You know, it's we've tried a lot of these tools, uh, and I won't I won't name any products, but but we've tried a lot of them between my company here and my last company, Palo Alto Networks, and. And so for the past eight years, I've been experimenting aggressively in this space, but yet I still find that none of the tools really work that well. And I think part of the reason why is because you need a lot of data. And most, uh, even large, relatively large and successful enterprise uh, companies like Nutanix and Palo Alto Networks, which have probably you know, close to a million records in the database each company and uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of purchases lifetime, um, or more, 
you still the 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 system still don't work that well on that kind of that data set. You need even more data to really make these these uh, applications effective. I mean, a, a company like Nutanix or Palo Alto Networks is also growing rapidly and evolving rapidly. So where you've come from may not be where you're trying to go, as well. There, there's probably some of that going on. Absolutely, and I think part of the, the and that that's yet another challenge for these high growth companies. I've I've been very fortunate to be in a uh, important marketing role at two very high growth and successful companies. And and what you find is when you really k- kind of get inside the business and really get deep in it, what you find is there's so many variables changing. Kind of what you're saying, you know, like the growth trajectory of the company is changing, the markets that you're selling into and going after, the way that you're marketing, the kind of products and services that you're offering are expanding all the time. So it gets it's pretty hard to kind of isolate the data set to uh, to form some uh, some pattern matching uh, and and then so when you have so many variables moving around all the time and the business is going through hyper growth it's just really hard to get the, the systems to work the way that they're um, uh, at least marketed so it does it hasn't um, dampened my enthusiasm about Martech I think it just it has changed the way I think about how to apply it. And so now my approach, whenever I'm advising other young companies, is, hey, get 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 deployed some simple, easy tools that you know just work because they're so simple. And one perfect example of that, uh, I said I wouldn't throw out names, so I'd throw out one, which is uh, Leadlander, which you probably know. It's a very simple reverse DNS lookup of all the web activity that hits your site. It costs like a few hundred bucks a month or whatever. I think it's very, very inexpensive. And it just tells you, like, instead of all the anonymous traffic, even the people that you don't gate and capture and forms, what companies, not people, but what companies are hitting your website. And that's a great start and great indicator for your outbound calling efforts, your uh, you know sales development efforts. So I just think like a tool like that, which just works and it's easy to act on. Uh, is one that uh, that I'm a big believer in, and then and then you kind of get more sophisticated over time, as you're able to add more marketing ops talent and people who know how to kind of take advantage of these systems, and know how to optimize them and continue to refine the algorithms, et cetera, with the vendor. I think that's when you could start getting more sophisticated. Great, and and you're touching a little bit on, you know, measurement and performance. That's one of the reasons I was excited to talk to you. Is you're you're very data driven and you care about performance. If you just up level, you know, broaden the thinking of performance to you know all your marketing efforts, your entire budget. At this stage of Nutanix, what are the biggest challenges with measuring marketing performance? It's attribution. You know, it comes and I think it, when when we first met Nadine, probably four or five years ago, whenever it was, I think it was probably a similar problem. Maybe it's become. Um, uh, it's it's demonstrated itself in, in slightly different ways, but I think the core problem that most of us data-driven marketers have is when you define the attribution model, how accurate is that over the long run for all the decisions that you have to make? And most attribution models are very simple, right? It's either first touch or last touch, right? And then you can add in all the influence campaigns on top of an opportunity, which I just think can be sometimes misleading, uh, defend, depending on how you define your uh, your attribution model. So, for example, at Nutanix, we have a pretty aggressive attribution model where we uh, uh, do a look back uh, on um, all activity against an account at an account level, not at a person level, but at an account level to see which campaigns 
should get some attribution credit for a particular opportunity. And to me, I feel like that's fairly aggressive, meaning that can over attribute. And if you have people that then take that data, because a lot of you, you and I both know most marketers are consumers of that data, not the people that are architecting and instrumenting that data. So if there isn't a good understanding about what data they're looking at or acting on, you can start misleading, uh, you know, very important decisions like what kinds of activities we invest in and what, what are some big, uh, big investments that you might uh, explore. So I think that that's what I'm trying to drive my team towards is just more awareness about what it is that we're, what data we really are looking at, what is the error rate in that data. And I even have this new saying that I just developed in the last six months. I call it little d and big d. Like the little d is the data that's maybe not 100% accurate, but getting more accurate is just diminishing returns and too much effort and probably just not feasible. But it's good enough to give you some directional indicators and maybe helps you make an argument for budget or resource or whatever internally and to shape some perception. Big D is totally intellectually honest, extremely reliable and consistent, and you can make good decisions off that data every time. And I would say that most marketing data, like 80% of marketing data is little d. And only 20% is really big D. So I don't know if that resonates with you, but that's something that I'm starting to really, really preach within my organization to say, hey, make sure you understand if this is little d or big D that you're working with. Because if we're trying to make $100,000 decisions on little d, that's a bad place to be. Yeah, understanding the the reliability of, of the, the data, it's... it's um, it, it doesn't come naturally to everyone. So, so given that marketing teams are can be pretty large at a big company and you have different levels and they're geographically dispersed, how are you getting or how deep into your organization are you getting data? So, so your most entry-level event marketing coordinator, let's say, um, does that person look at data or, or how are you thinking about their decisions because they're spending money, they are having an influence on your budget and your results. Um, one of the challenges that, that I often hear is um, from larger companies is is that the data gets stuck at your level or one level below you, but doesn't make its way through the entire team. I'm just curious if you're seeing that. Yeah, that's a little bit of kind of what I'm talking about too. You know, the the folks that really understand the whole system, how it works, how it's instrumented, what data we're collecting, what's the accuracy and re- uh, reliability, uh, what's big D versus little D. Like I, I literally have a handful of people that can really understand that end to end. But I have almost everyone in the company looking at some data. And it's a challenge. It's a challenge because sometimes those folks look at the data without um, – uh, checking in or or validating it with uh, with with the people that really get deep into it in in my marketing ops and analytics uh, team, and uh, then they go make decisions on it without uh, uh, being totally informed about what kind of data they're working with. So I, I, while I've kind of pushed the uh, culture of the organization to be very data driven, I think the way we apply it still has a lot of room for improvement, and everyone's thirsty for better solutions. You know, everyone is dying for more uh, reliable and actionable data. And the best way to, you know, I still think the best way to look at um, uh, uh, spend data or or at least uh, uh, return on investment is what I call pipeline yield. For every dollar of marketing investment, programs dollars, 
how much pipeline are you generating in direct attribution off that off that campaign or off that investment? And you know, you can look at serious decisions or whatever at these companies, and they probably say like 20, 30 x is what you should go for. I think it needs to be higher. I think it needs to be closer to 50 to 60 x, uh, and that's the benchmark that I try to set for our team. So I think that data, you know, at the spend ROI level, I think you can kind of keep that at a at a fairly senior levels. All the people that are kind of signing off on the big investments, the big checks, if you will. But I I try to encourage all of my team to look at the data that's kind of guiding their decisions. So for example, the team that does email marketing, they're looking at very different types of data. They're looking at things, you know, the traditional things like open rates and response rates and what times of day are they getting better responses and trying different subject lines. So they're doing A-B testing and doing all kinds of data at that kind of in their in their function, their realm. But I think the the bigger decisions, you know, around spend, it, it just needs to be handled by people who understand what data they're looking at and how to apply it. And and what about shifting maybe from inward inside the marketing team to the, the executive team, the board, the CFO? What, what have you learned about showing the value of marketing uh, to those folks who, who might be very sophisticated about business but they're not the CMO. So how do you bring them along? How do you show them the value of the work that your team's doing? I try to, uh, I always put together a uh, analytics package or, or a metrics package for, for our board meetings and they, you know, probably casually flip through it. Uh, we oftentimes do not go deep into it. Um, but, uh, but I always prepare some data for them. And I try to look at uh, a couple key uh, sets of metrics. Like one is kind of pre-funnel. And pre-funnel would be things like, okay, what's my share of voice? How many organic Google searches do we, ha- we have on our branded terms? Uh, things that kind of aren't in your marketing tech systems, right? Things that are kind of uh, before they even engage with the company. And that, that might also include things like social, you know, social activity, followers, mentions, all that stuff, right? So I, I, I probably have some set of metrics around pre-funnel. Then I have set of metrics at kind of top of the funnel, Right. What's the website activity, the amount of traffic, organic versus not? How, what's our capture rate on the website? You know, what's repeat versus, you know, uh, new, et cetera, et cetera. So I have some kind of top of the funnel metrics and now I have later in the funnel metrics really around kind of pipeline yield uh, by campaign type, uh, by, you know, by region, how much pipeline, what's the coverage ratio? Uh, coverage ratio, the way we define it is, what's the amount of open pipe set to close that quarter against the remaining bookings? to be to be uh, to, to, to be booked or remaining sales to be booked that quarter. Uh, so that number obviously changes as the quarter goes on week by week. And we're always looking for some ratio, depending on kind of the uh, seasonality of the business and, and where, where you should be at any one point. So I look at things like, you know, so I look at those three buckets of metrics generally. And, and are there things that uh, you wish that investors and boards of directors knew about universally that you don't find that they often know about in terms of marketing and marketing metrics? I just think that generally there would be, uh, it would be great for people in my role and folks in your world to uh, just spread more appreciation for marketing metrics. You know, I think there's still, even when I talk pipeline yield in board meetings, when I, when I've talked pipeline yield in different board settings, there's still some kind of, uh, what's the right word? Some 
uh, skepticism about it, you know, and and questions about, you know, what's the validity of it and how actionable it is and what what do we do with this? You know, like what, what why is this data important? So I just think overall just more awareness uh, from uh, executive rooms and boardrooms about the way that this, the reason why this data is so important and how we should apply it to drive better business decisions. I think just overall, I think could be enhanced in the industry. Uh, I, I couldn't agree more. I think marketing is definitely much more of a probabilistic and statistical uh, game, uh, much less deterministic where it's, you know, black and white, um, which is what, you know, ultimately finance and sales are more used to because there's either a close or, the, or there's not, um, mm -hmm. which is what makes it fun as well. But, um, and, um, you know, which, which does raise another question that I had, you know, one of the biggest perennial topics for us as marketers is aligning with sales. Um, mm -hmm. what's the, what's the best relationship you've had and, and what made it a strong relationship, um, with a sales leader in your organization? I I think this, the one I have here with our uh, heads of sales and the president who used to be the head of sales, um, who's been elevated president, um, and then all of his direct reports, I think that the relationship I have here has probably been the best I've had in my career. And part of that is because I've just learned throughout my years how to, how to, how to work better with the sales organization. And to be completely candid, Early in my career, when I was a lot younger, I just didn't really appreciate the the function of sales. And I some of the early uh, some of the sales reps that I experienced and worked with early in my career, I just didn't uh, see the I didn't respect them the way I should have because I just didn't know what value they were bringing to the table. Or I didn't understand it. And I think as I've gone along, I've become much much more appreciative and respectful of. Uh, the, the function of sales and, and kind of what it takes to be successful and how difficult it is to be successful. Uh, so I just think there's been just greater respect. And then uh, the other way, uh, coming back the other way, um, I just think the I've proven and my team has proven uh, over and over again that we have delivered for this for the sales team and we're able to back it up with metrics. Like for example. We were able to show that any customer or prospect, sorry, that came to our user conference, we were closing those customers at three X ray than people uh, prospects who didn't. So when you give, when you put on a big event like that, and you're able to back it up with a super compelling metric about how it helps them, the respect and the trust just builds both ways. And uh, it's been building, and and I think uh, I feel I've got the best sales and marketing alignment here that I've ever had. And I think the, the key to that is a lot of communication, just really talking through what are the big initiatives, having a seat at that inner tape, inner circle of the executive ranks where all the key decisions are made about what companies are acquiring, what markets are we going after, what you know, what are the big growth ambitions and, and goals for for the year ahead, and really just being part of that conversation, I think, is it, it sets my organization up to make sure that we are putting the company in the best position to succeed. That's great. You, you mentioned, you alluded to a little bit about, you know, having empathy for sales and understanding their function. Um, what about from their point of view, what, what do you think is the most misunderstood thing about marketing? So if you were to speak to another sales leader at a different company who maybe didn't have the relationship with their marketer that, that you do, 
uh, at Nutanix, what would you tell them? Like, what, what are the, what sort of the, um, in, in, a, in a nutshell, what are the few things that they don't understand typically that they should understand? Yeah, I do a fair amount of this because I think every great CMO has to do a fair job of marketing the function of marketing internally, at least, and, and making sure that uh, the sales teams and, and other functions in the company really appreciate what the function really does. Because I think for a long time, the marketing function was probably, if you looked at overall impact on a on the success or outcome of a company, the function was probably like five or six or you know whatever down the list. But I think today it's very much at the top of the list, not at the very top in, in every company, but for some companies, it is the most important function. And I just think that, you know, the function of marketing and its impact of the business has grown. And as we're going through that transformation uh, of the function, I just want to make sure that everyone in the company appreciates and understands how much hard work goes into getting the outcome. So to answer your question, I think the number one thing I try to help people understand is the type of work and how much effort goes into producing something. For example, we produce these ads uh, that really help tell our story. It's uh, got these street signs and it's got a message. Uh, this has been our main corporate ad that's been running for the past nine months and people just absolutely love it because it really captures and tells our story so well. And it just has three street signs and it just reads, you need a VMware, you want AWS, you're gonna love Nutanix. And I just think that like people probably in the sales function, they see that ad and they're like, oh, that's nice. You know, that probably took a day or a week to come up with, but it took my team like hundreds of man hours <laughs> to, to get to that and really get the message just right, the visual just right, you know, with the tone and aggressiveness of the message and kind of portraying us in a certain way. And just, I just try to help the sales folks understand how, how much effort and creativity and invention is required to deliver something like that. And, uh, and I think that's often the most misunderstood thing is, you know, the, the, some, some, I think people would think that um, it's relatively easy because I think a lot of everyone that's in business today is marketing in one way or another, you know, uh, and, and they probably have a perception that maybe it comes easier than it really does, but it is a lot of work. And, and even, you know, like analyst relations and, and you and everyone that's listening, that's in a marketing role knows this. It takes thousands of man hours of trying to influence Gardner to get to the outcome you want. <laughs> but yet when the report comes out, it's like, oh, there's a dot in the quadrant and, you know, uh, and I don't know what happened here, but, but, you know, uh, maybe, I, you know, it, it probably doesn't seem like it takes thousand man hours, you know, to get the dot in the right place and in a magic quadrant. So I think that's probably the main thing. I try to help the, uh, the, the, our customers, our consumers, our sales teams really understand how, how difficult this function really is and, and how much work goes into it. No, that's that's a great one. Um, what about in general about what have you learned about building the marketing teams themselves, the structure, scaling the organization? Um, you know, you, you've sort of seen different phases. I, I'd love to, you know, for us to learn from you. I think the uh, it's 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 uh, I I've seen a, a a variety of different organizational models, and I'm not sure if there is a right or wrong. I think it really depends on. Uh, the 
the growth of the company, the way it operates, how centralized or decentralized the the culture of the company is, and um, and it depends on what phase of growth you're in. You know, my company is right now going through a phase where we really need to move to more of a regionalized marketing model. So what was once heavily centralized, now we've always had marketing people in the regions, but they essentially were event and field marketing managers, you know, basically doing all the day-to-day stuff with our sales teams and our channel partners in in each region where we operate. Uh, What I want now is I want essentially a CMO office, you know, and and all the different supporting functions of a marketing uh, function in the regions. And we're transitioning to that now because I think as your business grows in, in, in different markets and with, you know, different customs and different ways of doing things and what's, what's effective in one country is not effective in another. And you have a lot of different cultural uh, implications and, and, and things like that. It's harder and harder to produce stuff from HQ and just push it and run it everywhere. So we're kind of going through that transition right now. Some would argue maybe we're uh, a little premature. Maybe we're not quite at the size that, uh, is where that's needed, but I, I'm planning for growth for for the next decade for this company. And we really have great ambition, and we know that we're on a we've gotten off to a great start. But w- most of the growth is ahead for this company. So I'm really trying to set the organization up for the next phase of our growth. So um, so that's that's a big thing that we're going through. And I and uh, but there is no I think right or wrong. It, it it really depends on what market you operate in and how you. Uh, engage your potential buyers, uh, what what mediums you're using, et cetera. So, for example, if I was working at a SaaS company, uh, I would be doing things a little differently. You know, I'd be much more heavily digital uh, acquisition and maybe a little bit less event-oriented. You know, we're selling uh, high-end uh, data center software so it and, and at big price tags, and so it requires some kind of human touch. So I can't really do as much. Uh, we do a lot of uh, air cover and awareness and brand building through digital and some nurturing through digital, but we have to do a lot of the demand gen in face-to-face activities, not just straight seminars, but lots of different types of face-to-face activities. So my mix would change. So based on that mix, it would dictate the type of organization you need to support it. That makes a lot of sense. Well, this has been a great um, uh, interview so far. Really, thank you for sharing your wisdom. I'm going to end with um, well, two questions. One is anything you want to add, but before we get there, um, I want to switch to um, career advice for anyone that wants to be a CMO. Um, and let, let's say they're a, you know, a director of demand gen or uh, marketing ops or product marketing today, and, and they want to someday be a CMO of a, of a public company. What would you tell them uh, as career advice? I think I just keep it simple. I, I, I could have a long, I, we, we could do a whole interview just on this topic, but I just keep it real simple, Nadine, which is pay attention to what's going on around you and, and, and just consume a lot of content. Read a lot, watch a lot of videos, you know, stuff your competitors are doing, stuff that companies in other industries are doing that you think are, are, are uh, great marketing companies and just consume a lot of content. I think that's one thing that I've always tried to do uh, when I was very early in my career, I had this uh, kind of a self-imposed rule, which is I would get all these newsletters at the beginning of the day, and I'd come in in the morning, and I'd click on all the links that I wanted to read, 
I'd leave all those windows open in my browser and I would not shut down for the night until I read all those articles or watched all those videos. And I, I've obviously gotten deviated from that a little bit now that I'm in management roles and it's my time is just kind of not in my control a lot of days. Um, and, and I've gotten older and I have different work life priorities. Um, so I haven't been able to kind of stick to that, but I still do. I still kind of do that. I just don't read them all in the same day anymore. Um, so I just think what's important for, for marketers is to be really, really good business people and to be a really good business person. You just have to really understand a lot about business. And the way I got there is just to read a lot and be really curious and ask a lot of questions. So, uh, so my advice would be consume a lot of content and just have curiosity. Some of it is natural. You know, I think, I hope that some of the folks listening have that kind of pent up curiosity. Maybe they aren't, they're not expressing it. And, and I'm telling you right now, express it, ask tons of questions, because if you do that and you've got the hunger, um, you can, you can get to the CMO role. Excellent. Um, and speaking of asking tons of questions, is there anything, um, I should have asked you that, that you want to, you want to, uh, ask yourself. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think you've covered, you, you've, uh, you've covered a lot of ground and, uh, really enjoyed it. And, uh, you've, uh, um, uh, helped me open up a little bit. Uh, and, and I hope I've, uh, helped some of the folks uh, listening in and, uh, I'd be happy to, 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 uh, to share more and, and talk more at, a, at another time. So I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for having me on. Howard, thank you so much for spending time with us and, and um, kind of talking about, you know, it just refreshes my own excitement about marketing. It, you know, you covered so much ground, everything from, you know, how difficult marketing is. We're, we're running complex playbooks. There's new channels. Um, you know, some things can be measured. Some things can't be measured. So you've got to understand, you know, really how to read the data, uh, which which is, uh, you know, if, if you have curiosity, that's that's something new that a lot of people are learning. So uh, it's been a really fun, fun journey of the last uh, half an hour for me to learn a bit about your approach to marketing. So thank you for, for sharing that with us. And um, and I'm sure any data driven marketer tuning in will really appreciate it. Thank you, Howard.